Welcome to Just Thinking with hosts Dara Harrison and Virgil Walker, bringing you week-to-week cultural apologetics as well as social issues from a biblical worldview. This is Just Thinking. Let's think. We're back. It's another edition of the Just Thinking Podcast. I am Virgil Walker. And I am Daryl Harrison. What's going on, Omaha? What's going on out there in Nebraska? Man, I'm doing well, man. Everything's rolling well. The the summer's slowly creeping in. And uh and and I mean the milder weather I, I can't say that I'm upset about uh because I'm sure it'll fire up here in August and it'll be a heat wave. But as of right now, man, it's really, really nice, man. There's just there's just tons of things going on and lots to talk about. So I'm excited to be back for another edition of the podcast. I'm excited uh, for us to sit down and chop up the topics. And uh, yeah, man, I'm ready. To, I'm ready to rock and roll. Yeah, you know, speaking of summer, uh, a lot of people keep asking me, uh, being from Georgia and recently moved to California. You know, how am I dealing with the heat out here? Because obviously, it gets hot. In California, I think a few days ago, it creeped a little bit over 100 degrees, maybe one or two, somewhere around there. But the thing about California heat, this is going to sound really weird. I really like California heat because California heat is not the same as Georgia heat. So Cali hot is not Georgia hot. Right. Georgia hot, if it hits 102, then you've got the humidity along with that. Right. And at 102 in Georgia with the humidity, you're probably looking at some really serious and dangerous thunderstorms, if not wow. some tornadoes. Wow. But out, out here in Cali, the heat is a dry heat. You don't nobody mm-hmm. out here sweats. Nobody out here the, the humidity is, is is virtually non-existent. So wow. though it gets hot, it's not to me, coming from where I came from in, in Georgia, right. it's not an intolerable heat to where you don't even want to go outside. Right, right. I remember being being from Oklahoma. I remember that that humidity, man. It was a it was a bad. Felt like a fifty pound weight had jumped on oh, your yeah. back, man. Yeah. Regardless of where you went, so yeah, yeah. And I I just left Birmingham, man. The uh, the SBC conference down in Birmingham, Alabama, which I I only allude to it just to 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 make note of, man. It was really really mild down there as well. I mean, I was I was expecting oh, you mean you mean outside the convention outside. <laughs> <laughs> See, you're trying to star stuff, man. I'm not even starting nothing, man. Hey, would, would you, I don't want to put too much of a teaser out there because that's for next week. Right, right, That's for right. next week's episode. Right, absolutely, absolutely. But no, man, it was, it was, that's good. That's good, bro. I saw what you did there, man. I saw yeah, what you, you saw did. What I did. Yeah, you got to yeah, stay on top. Yeah. You got to stay with me, man. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, it was really, really mild outdoors, man. I mean, you know, I think it got up to the 80s maybe. And uh, for the most part, man, it was, you know, they would start out about 50, 60 degrees. I actually went outside. For those who follow me on Facebook and, and on Instagram, I took some pictures outside the hotel as I went and did some exercising and all of that good mm-hmm. stuff in the morning. So, yeah, it was really, really nice out. Yeah, so just so our listeners know, uh, you know, we won't be talking about the SBC convention in this episode that's not our topic. However, uh, as Virgil just mentioned, he he did attend the SBC convention mm-hmm. uh, this previous week. So we want to definitely uh, give uh, give Omaha an opportunity to share some of his observations and insights from uh, the 2019 Southern Baptist Convention, which, uh, wow, pretty much dominated social media last week. Right. Uh, right. So we, we will be covering that, but that's going to be in the episode 
that, uh, Lord willing, we will release on June 26th, Wednesday, yeah. June 26th. So that's the, that's in our queue to tee up next. Yeah, I'm, I'm for, excited. Ahead, I'm excited. I'm excited about that. I'm excited to talk about that with you in particular for a number of reasons. One that 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 I'll mention is it, it did did blow up last week in social mm-hmm. media. And and one of the things that I love about what we do on just thinking, uh, and and we'll and and we'll do you know we'll kind of examine this tonight uh, as well as we talk about this topic is. One of the things I love about what you you do is you have a tendency, a natural tendency to say, let's take all of the emotion out of it. You know, all of the hype, all of the angst, all of the anger. Let's pull that away from the issue and let's just go to Scripture and then see what that says. And mm-hmm. uh, and, and and I think giving ourselves a good week, two weeks away from all of the angst and, and up and upheaval really allows, you know, kind of cooler heads to prevail. Now let's get back to the text of scripture. Let's see what things are said and, and kind of go from there. And again, I, I don't say that to say everyone who is making a case last week or or this week, even as this episode airs, are doing so on the basis of emotion only. I simply say I simply say that to say that, man, you know, I, I appreciate what you and I do and the space that we're in on the platform that God's allowed us to have and that uh, it's it's really not an emotionally driven right. podcast that, that we're really focused on on the authority of Scripture. So, Yeah, I appreciate you saying that, Omaha. And I think m- most listeners, the folks who have listened to us, listened to the Just Thinking podcast for any length of time, they know that that's what we do. I mean, mm-hmm. we're pretty vanilla on this mm-hmm. on this uh, on this podcast. No, no we pun, don't no pun intended. Yeah, we're no man. Come on. <laughs> see, you got to keep up, see, man. You got to yeah. keep up. <laughs> I didn't mean hey, that you, in the, I didn't you, I didn't mean, with, you, you had Uncle Tom a week ago. It's so yeah, vanilla. So yeah. just, I figured I'd throw that in, man. No, you know I, I adopted Tom as my nickname. I knew handle. I do know so, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I didn't say vanilla in the critical race theory sense. Right, right, I was right. Using that as a you know a, a a manner of speaking, you know, we keep things basic right, right. here on the podcast. Right. We open the Word of God, and we look into what the Word of God objectively says about the issue that we're speaking on. At you know for that particular episode, uh, in this case, you know the issue is ecclesiastical egalitarianism, mm-hmm. uh, and, and and we're doing this episode. This doesn't happen often. But we're actually going to tackle this topic by request. We had so many people, and I think leading up to the SBC convention and then through the right. SBC convention and now post-SBC convention, man, this, right. this issue is just on fire, and it just will mm-hmm. not die down. And we've had several people reach out to us collectively and individually asking us to chime in on this topic. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're going to do. So as I said just a second ago, many of our listeners are aware that there is a debate brewing today, and it's not a minor one. It is not a minor debate among professing Christians of various denominational persuasions concerning the issue of ecclesiastical egalitarianism. Now, that's a fancy way of, of, of saying we're talking about the ordination of women in certain roles and responsibilities within the church, and specifically as it relates to women being permitted to preach from the pulpit. So that's the issue. That is the issue. So when I talk about ecclesiastical egalitarianism, you can reduce it down to kitchen English and say, this is the issue that's brewing within the church today about whether or not scripture allows 
for women to be ordained to preach from the pulpit. Now, the truth is, this debate is not really about egalitarianism at all. Not at all. It is actually a debate about something much larger and much more significant than that. But what's most disheartening to me is that most professing Christians who are engaging in this debate don't recognize that reality for themselves. And what I'm saying is they don't recognize that what they think the debate is about, namely egalitarianism, they don't recognize that that is not really what the debate is about. Now, as I see it, this debate is about one thing and only one thing. And that one thing is the authority of Scripture. That's really what this whole debate is about. That's really what this entire debate is fundamentally about. It is about whether or not the Bible, as written, as breathed out by God and inspired by him, is authoritative both within the church universal and in our lives as individual believers. As we know from 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture, it says, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. That was 2 Timothy 3.16. Now, by the way, I want to say this just as an aside. And before someone who is listening to this gets all worked up over the translation I'm reading from, which, of course, is the non-Arminian standard Bible. Before they get all worked up over the translation I'm reading from, the word man there in 2 Timothy 3.16, the word man is the Greek noun anthropos. Okay, that's where we get our English word anthropology from. So the word man in 2 Timothy 3.16 is the Greek noun anthropos, which denotes any human being, whether male or female. Okay, any human being. So the word man in 2 Timothy 3.16 denotes any human being, whether male or female. In fact, in Genesis chapter 5, verse 2, it reads that God created them male and female, and he blessed them and named them man in the, in the day when they were created. That's Genesis 5-2. So God himself, if you've got any problem with my reading from a translation that uses the masculine pronoun man, okay, for my listeners out there, if you've got a problem with that, your problem is with God, not me. Because it is God who ordained that human beings be referred to as man. Now, I just wanted to get that out. I just want to say that parenthetically. I wanted to put that out there in case someone feels inclined to accuse me of being misogynistic in my exegesis. Okay? So I just had to clear that point up about the word man in 2 Timothy 3.16. Now, I said a minute ago that this debate is essentially about the authority of Scripture and not about egalitarianism versus complementarianism, okay? In my opinion, that issue is merely a subset of the larger issue of the authority of Scripture. Now, I want to support that assertion with a somewhat lengthy yet topically germane. This is a very profound statement from John Calvin 
in his Institutes of the Christian Religion and the chapter entitled The Power of the Church. Listen to what Calvin has to say. This is, again, this is a rather lengthy quote, but just hang in there with me because I think you'll find it that is germane to our conversation here today. Calvin says this, quote, We, being satisfied with the perfection of Christ's teaching, should learn not to invent anything new or accept anything devised by man. Accordingly, it was right that the Father who as an extraordinary privilege sent us his son should appoint him that is Christ to be our teacher and instructor commanding us to listen to him and not to any man still reading from Calvin here God indeed commended his teaching to us with the briefest of words saying hear him Matthew 17:5 Yet in these few words, there is greater force and significance than may appear. For it is the same saying that, having called us away and withdrawn us from all human teaching, he has left us with none but his son and has commanded us to receive from him all truth concerning salvation, to rely on him alone and to cling solely to him. In short, as the word implies, to obey only him. Frankly, what more might we expect or wish from men since the word of life himself has dwelt intimately with us in the flesh unless someone perhaps hoped that God's wisdom could be surpassed by men. Rather, now listen to this from Calvin, rather Every human mouth must be stopped. Now that he in whom the father has been pleased to hide all the treasures of knowledge and wisdom has spoken and spoken in a way befitting both God's unfailing wisdom and his Messiah, who was to reveal all things. What I mean is that Christ has spoken so as to leave nothing else for others to say. He, I say again, must speak and none but he. And Calvin closes saying this, let all the world be silent. Let Christ alone be obeyed and all others ignored. For as the authority is his, it is for him to speak, unquote. That was from John Calvin and his Institutes of the Christian Religion. Now, the reason I took the time here at the beginning of this episode to quote those words from Calvin is that it is critical to set the context for the topic we're discussing here. Calvin said, let Christ alone be obeyed and all others ignored. For as the authority is his, it is for him, that is, it is for Christ to speak and Christ alone to speak. Now, Calvin's words here underscore the overarching point that I was attempting to make earlier as it relates to this ecclesiastical civil war that is currently raging within the church and in one denomination in particular over the issue of women, pastors, and elders. And that point is this. Ultimately, only Christ has the authority to speak for his church. 
And he has spoken in the scriptures. And because Christ has spoken, we must obey him and not any man. Nor must we succumb to the pressures of trendy sociocultural and pseudo-biblical ideologies and philosophies. Mm. I, I think I'm backed up on saying that by the Westminster Confession, which in chapter 1, section 6, says this. says, the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from Scripture, unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelations of the Spirit or traditions of men. That was section one, chapter one, rather, section six of the Westminster Confession. Any thoughts so far, Omaha? I, I, again, at the outset, what you've done in where you've gone, especially with our our listeners, is we've just set up uh, a high view of Scripture. Uh, we've established the importance of sola scriptura, right? We we we've put it high and said that it is the it is the final the the word of Christ is the final authority. The word of God is the final authority by that which we. Are, are to are to submit. So I completely agree with what you set up at the outset of the discussion. Uh, the debate to whether the Bible presents an ecclesiastical egalitarianism or not all pivots on our view and holding a scripture. Do we hold scripture high or or not? Uh, I'm more likely to simply say that the Bible knows nothing of a female pastor or pastrix, as as the term is also uh, called. And in a few in a few weeks, in the last few weeks, rather, this particular issue has unfolded in certain circles. It would seem that what's being implied is that if you disagree uh, that that either a quote unquote softer complementarianism end quote or as what I would call simple egalitarianism, if you don't if you don't believe in those things, that you're a part of the segment of the culture that hosts to misogyny or the hatred of women or that you somehow in some way contributed to a culture that promotes the sexual abuse of women. I mean, that's where the, that's where the language has gone and it's yeah. unbelievable to see uh, what's taken place there. And I, I know you're going to discuss uh, some of these terms, specifically soft complementarianism. I know you're going to unpack that for our listeners. I just thought I might add as we're accustomed to doing on our show, just a brief definition of, of, of complementarianism. Yeah, yeah, please do, please do, man. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, just simply stated to those who hold to a complementarian view, they, we, we believe, I believe, I hold to that view, that men and women are equal, that they hold to a equal position and, and standpoint from a standpoint of, of being equally created in the image of God, Genesis 127, uh, that they equally hold distinct value dignity and worth that only human beings in all of God's created order possess, right? Furthermore, we believe that scripture holds no special distinctions of greater or lesser value between men and women where it regards their need for salvation or their access to salvation through Christ, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Galatians 3.28 says that there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female for you are all one 
in Christ Jesus. And so the playing field is leveled at the foot of the cross. Mm-hmm. How, however, Scripture is also clear that within the framework of marriage, the family, and church life, there are specific roles that each person has been uniquely designed by God to fulfill. Mm-hmm. Uh, and without unpacking the whole of Scripture for each of these areas for the sake of time, I'll simply say that, that the New Testament and the Old Testament are clear on these distinctions uh, regarding the unique roles that complement one another with regard to men. And women, at the end of the day, it goes back to something you stated, uh, 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 Daryl, from the beginning, which of uh, beginning of the podcast, which is that the problem is not men or women. It's whether or not we really hold to the authority of what scripture says about these issues. Yep, that's the bottom line. That's the bottom mm-hmm. line. Thanks for that input, Omaha. I appreciate yep. that. Now, yep. with those words that I quoted earlier from Calvin and from the Westminster Confession, with those words as our background, I do want to suggest to our listeners here that the only real question, the only real question for us as Christians to consider is this. Has Christ spoken on this issue? Has Christ spoken on this issue? The obvious answer to that question, and this goes back exactly to what you just said, Omaha. The obvious answer to that question is yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, he has spoken on this issue, which is why we've titled this episode of the Just Thinking Podcast An Unnecessary Debate. So when you're hearing this, you will notice that that's what we titled this episode. We Mm. decided on that title because on the issue of ordaining women as pastors and elders, Scripture has clearly spoken. Yeah. And it has spoken authoritatively as the word of God, not as the word of man. That's kind of where I was going with that earlier monologue, especially with respect to what I read from Calvin from his institutes. Mm -hmm. The word of God has already spoken on this issue. We see this. I'm sorry, just establishing the authority of Scripture once again in First Thessalonians, chapter two, verse 13a. I just want to uh, read that real quickly. First Thessalonians Mm -hmm. 213. For this reason, Paul writes to the Thessalonian believers, for this reason, we also constantly thank God. That when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. Mm. That's 1 Thessalonians 2.13. And in that text, Paul is commending. He's commending the Thessalonian believers for accepting the word of God for what it is, not the word of man but the word of God. Now that word accepted, that word accepted, again, I'm reading from the NASB, Verge reads from the ESV, so his may read a little differently. But in the NASB, that word accepted in 1 Thessalonians 2.13 is the Greek verb dekomai. That's D-E-C-H-O-M-A-I, dekomai, which translated means to grab hold of, to embrace, to make your own, to give ear to. So the word accepted there in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, in that context, it carries with it the idea of hospitality and you welcoming someone who arrives at your home and not turning them away. So when Paul says to the Thessalonians that you accepted the word of God, which, which again, they heard from them, from the apostles, that they accepted it. They grabbed hope. They embraced it. They gave ear to it. They welcomed it. They didn't turn it away. 
they embraced it for what it really is. It's the word of God. It's not the word of man. So when you peel away all the different political and tribalist layers that are associated with this issue and look at it objectively through the lens of scripture, what you'll find is that this debate about egalitarianism is not a matter of gender equality, but human autonomy. That's really what we're talking about here. It's just a different manifestation of the same tug of war that's been going on since Genesis 3, namely man's desiring to live independently of God's rule and authority. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's really fundamentally what we're talking about here. Or to put Mm -hmm. it more simply, we're dealing with the same three words the serpent spoke to Eve in Genesis 3, verse 1, that triggered doubt in her mind and heart. Has God said? Has God said? That's fundamentally what we're talking about here in this episode of the Just Thinking Podcast on the question of the ordination of women in pastoral elder roles, other roles within the church. Well, yeah. When you ask the question, has God said? Yes, God has said. Our problem is we don't want to accept what he has said. Again, it all comes back to the authority of Scripture. Listen to what Wayne Grudem, in his book on uh, entitled Evangelical Feminism and Biblical Truth, Wayne Grudem says this, quote, I believe ultimately the effective authority of Scripture to govern our lives is at stake in this controversy. Mm. The issue is not whether we say we believe the Bible is the Word of God or that we believe it is without error. But the issue is whether we actually obey it when it comes to its teachings being unpopular and being in conflict with the dominant viewpoints in our culture. Grudem says this, he closes with this, if we do not obey it, then the effective authority of God to govern his people and his church through his word have been eroded. Unquote. So Grudem is saying that the bottom line here is not whether we say the Bible is the word of God. We can even be in errantist and say that the Bible is without error. Mm-hmm. He said, all of that is moot. If you don't obey it, he said, if you choose to not obey it, you can say all of that. But if you choose to not obey it, then his word has been eroded. So again, Omaha, this is not a question of male and female equality within the church. This is a matter of the authority of Scripture and whether or not the Bible, which is the Word of God, as we saw early in the text we read in 1 Thessalonians 2, whether or not the Bible is authoritative in our lives so that we obey what it has already said. Now, on that point, I want to quote from D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the doctor. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a little book called Authority. Um, I don't even know how much... Our listeners may even be familiar with that book, but it's a very small booklet, but it's a very powerful booklet. Well, everything uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote and said is powerful. But in his book, Authority, I want to quote from that book real quick. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. He says, quote, the choice for us today is really as simple as it was for those first Christians in the early days of the church. We either accept this authority or else with accept the authority of modern knowledge, modern science, human understanding, and human ability. It is one or the other. 
Let us not be confused by the modern argument about a changed position. We are still left where believers have always been left. It is still a matter, Lloyd-Jones says, it is still a matter of Christ or the critics, unquote. Omaha, what you got? Man, uh, the whole the whole section that you just walked us through is powerful. As you were talking, I thought about two things um, in particular, um, and 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 I'd written down some bullets. But my my thought is, as I listened to you run through that, went so just in a, in a different direction. So let me first articulate what I thought about when when you said that the issue is whether or not uh, is whether you 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 quoted uh, I think it was from Grudem. Right. Where you said uh, the issue is whether we actually obey it when its teachings are unpopular and conflict with the dominant viewpoints of the culture. And, and, and I immediately thought of or the dominant viewpoints in our own personal lives. Oh, wow. Yep. I, I immediately thought Come about on, that because yep. at, at the end of the day, you know, it's one thing I, I think. I, I think those who oppose our position, those who are e- ecclesiastical egalitarians who oppose our position, you know, they, they would look at you and I and say, well, you're you're men. So, you know, this this is something that doesn't really directly affect you and that you get to preach and we don't. Right. right. So it's easy for you to say to, to stand on your you know self-righteous high horse and say we can't. And scripture tells you so. So be quiet. But the reality is Scripture doesn't care about your gender. Yep. Right. Scripture doesn't care about who Scripture equally applies from the standpoint that it needs to be obeyed in the life of the believer. Right. And so this this isn't a matter of, well, it works for me, so I like it and it doesn't for you. But, man, all of us are confronted with this as a as a as a true follower of Christ. All of us should be confronted with the authority of Scripture in our lives on every single issue of life mm-hmm. where where and, and where we find we're missing the mark, where we find we are sinning. We have the responsibility to to repent and turn from sin. Right. And so I, I just as you read that, I thought, yeah, that's absolutely the issue. But it even goes Further than just viewpoints of culture, it goes to viewpoints that are are personal to our own lives. And we're we're submitted to the you and I are, are as believers are submitted to the authority of Scripture in the same way mm-hmm. that we would call anyone else mm-hmm. to be submitted to the authority mm-hmm. of Scripture. Does that make sense? Yeah. Makes perfect sense. Makes perfect Good. sense. Absolutely. Now, now to now to some of the bullets that I had kind of kind of written down as a as a thought. Uh, uh, about what what you said, I love what you said about the fact that this isn't about male or female equality, but it, rather it's about human autonomy. And I think mm-hmm. that's reflective of what I just what I just shared. Uh, so when 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 we see the sin of human autonomy reflected, it's reflected in original sin that we find in Genesis three. Uh, mankind, and and by that, unfortunately, I have to make the distinction that I mean man and woman by when right. I say man, which, which is why I had to yeah, which is why I had to sort of exegete the word man. Earlier in the text that I read from uh, from Paul in uh, in Second uh, Thessalonians, 
Right, right. Well, we we do not want to be submitted to the Word of God, but rather we've determined, especially, and what I'm referring to is is the situation in Genesis 3, mm-hmm. is what we've determined is that we would trust our own ability to reason and come to our own conclusions. Uh, Adam and Eve came to their own conclusions apart from God, right? Furthermore, uh, if, we, if we look just a bit further into the text of Genesis 3, we see how sin has created a new manner in which we interact and deal with everything around us. Mm-hmm. So in, in Genesis three sixteen, God says to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing and in pain you shall bring forth children. It says your desire will be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And here's the thing. I, I'm going to let you know a little secret. If you go back and look at that text, I actually stole from the non-Arminian standard version. What? <laughs> I pulled Save. it because, yeah, right. I know, I know. My ESV, my ESV fans are gonna are gonna are gonna freak out about this one. <laughs> so I quoted from that in particular on purpose, and here's why: because I I I memorized that verse of scripture in that way uh, mm-hmm. th- that your desire will be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, when I first read that text, I used to think that it meant that the woman would have strong and even sexual desire for her husband, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the word used uh, to connotate desire, the Hebrew word used to connotate, connotate desire, it means longing or passionate desire, but the desire there is as to devour, right? right. That right. same The same word is used in Genesis 4, 7, where the Lord says to Cain, uh-huh. if you do well, you will, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at uh-huh. your door. It's desire, same word, uh-huh. is contrary to you, but you must rule over it, uh-huh. right? There, uh-huh. sin's desire, if you will, I'll put that in quotes, sin's desire is to devour uh-huh. you in the same way that the desire of Eve will be for her husband, that she would devour him. But the scripture says, but he will rule over that desire, wow. Right. Furthermore, God says to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you have eaten from the tree, which I commanded you saying you shall not eat from it then. And they and then God declares all the curses that will follow. Now, what's being compared there is not that a man shouldn't listen to his wife, but that the man should ever replace what his wife says when it is contrary to everything you've been explaining, Mm -hmm. when it is contrary to the word. Mm -hmm of mm-hmm. God. And so this mm-hmm. goes back to what you're establishing to begin with that we have a responsibility to listen and submit ourselves to the word of God. Omaha, I tell you that was some excellent exegesis there and uh, listen, thanks for giving props to the NASB for helping you out <laughs> on that. But see, just as just as a slight detour here, that's one reason I love the NASB because it is so literal. It is so literal to the original text. And man, that was brilliant exegesis there with respect to giving us context on that, uh, that whole desire uh, dimension of that, uh, of that text. And that was a great segue actually into what I want to say next. Mm-hmm. So as we both know, right, Omaha, when it comes to this egalitarianism and ordaining women as pastors, when it comes to that uh, issue, there is one text in particular, right, that is consistently front and center of that debate. Mm-hmm. You know what it is without me mentioning it, but I'm going to mention mm-hmm. it. There's one text in particular that's always front and center of this debate 
when it comes to this question of ordaining women. And that text is 1 Timothy 2.12. 1 Timothy 2.12. But before I get to the text itself, I want to share something with our listeners that I heard a few years ago from a brother by the name of Dan Dumas. Dan Dumas is a professor at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And while attending a men's retreat one weekend a few years ago at which Dumas was the keynote speaker, I heard him say something that I have never forgotten with regard to what is involved in studying the Bible and rightly dividing the word of truth, as Scripture says we're supposed to do. Dumas said that the three most important things to consider when studying Scripture, and this is what makes what you just said, uh, Omaha, and the exegesis you gave uh, in uh, Genesis 3.16, and then again in Genesis 4.7. This is what makes that so brilliant and how you laid that out. Dumas said this. He said that the three most important things to consider when studying Scripture are, one, context, two, context, and three, context. Mm. Those are the three most important things you must consider when studying the Word of God. Now, having said that, on to the text that's causing so much consternation within the body of Christ on this issue of ecclesiastical egalitarianism. 1 Timothy 2.12, which I will read from the translation that gave Omaha so much help in his own exegesis <laughs> a minute ago, the NASB. 1 Timothy 2.12. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Again, these are Paul's words to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2.12. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Now, I want to say at the outset that there is nothing ambiguous about that text. Mm-mm. Nothing. This text is not inherently problematic, but it is problematic to those who desire to advance an ecclesiology that embraces the ordination of women as pastors and or elders under the guise of what you mentioned, a term you mentioned earlier, Omaha, quote unquote, soft complementarianism, mm-hmm. which is a term I saw used in social media recently by a prominent Christian female writer and Bible study teacher whose name I'm sure our listeners would recognize were I to mention it, but mm-hmm. I will not. In reality, a soft complementarian is merely someone who endorses the idea of women pastors and women elders, despite the clear teachings of Scripture against it. In fact, I saw a poll recently, Omaha, showing that among individuals who are associated with a certain Protestant denomination in America that I will not mention, that 73%, 73.1% to be exact, of females within that denomination favor women in the pulpit, mm. as do as do 58.1% of men. Interesting. That is a poll that was recently released last week that I saw that was uh, among individuals who are associated with a certain Protestant denomination that just happened to have their annual convention last week. (laughs) Wow. 
73.1% of females within that denomination said they favor women in the pulpit and almost 60% of men within that same denomination favor women in the full in the pulpit. Now, having seen that poll, my first question was since when is obedience to God's word a matter of taking a poll? Right, right, right. <laughs> right. But you see, it's with that question in mind, Omaha, that I want to play a little game with you right now here, okay? Mm-hmm, I want to play a little mm-hmm. game with you. Okay. You, my brother, are a married man, are you not? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, what do you think your wife would say if all of a sudden you came home from work one day and told her that you support soft matrimonialism and that on that basis alone you should be allowed to see other women? What do you think your wife would say to that? First you're, of all, you're, you're a soft matrimonialist. Matrimonialist, yeah. I, that that wouldn't play <laughs> in the Walker household, bruh. <laughs> bruh, it's not even. That's not even. That 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 wouldn't even be a game I would pretend to offer up to see what the response would be. So no so, way. So unlike soft complementarians, right, right, who who have come up with with that term as sort of a way to sort of nefariously navigate God's clear teaching. That we right. just read in Second Timothy, I'm sorry, First Timothy two twelve. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't come. You you would not be inclined to play that same game with Mrs. Walker, not and even un- the under the guise of soft matrimonialism. Mm-mm. Not even close. I thought that's what she said. Yeah, I thought I thought so. Now, I mentioned earlier that this debate about egalitarianism or quote unquote soft complementarianism or whatever term you choose to use has nothing to do with equality, but has everything to do with autonomy. Mm -hmm. And a fundamental issue within this debate is that the hermeneutic that is most often being applied, or shall I say misapplied to first Timothy two 12, especially by those who support the ordination of women as pastors and elders, that hermeneutic is so misguidedly myopic mm-hmm. that this entire debate is being misconstrued as being about male and female gender roles as opposed to the real issue of orthodox church polity and governance that is how god himself has stipulated that the offices of his church should function and operate mm-hmm. that's what this is all about this has mm-hmm. nothing to do with male and female gender roles this is about how God himself has stipulated his church, that his church should function and operate. On that note, listen to what John Piper says in his book that he co-wrote, by the way, with uh, Wayne Grudem. John Piper says this in his book entitled Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. I thought this was great. Listen to what Piper has to say. Quote, the current controversy necessitates a strong restatement of the complementarian position, mainly because scripture is utterly clear on gender distinctives in both home and church. It is never safe to act contrary to biblical teaching. Therefore, a Bible-embracing church will work to ensure that men and women in the congregation embrace it in its totality. Gender distinctives will be boldly, clearly, and lovingly proclaimed from the pulpit, Mm -hmm. as well as discreetly and appropriately applied in the context of discipleship. When God-given distinctives are denied, Piper says, Mm -hmm. 
when God-given distinctives are denied, altered, or ignored, disaster occurs in marriages, families, and churches. We believe the Bible makes clear that men should take primary responsibility for leadership in the in the home and that in the church the primary teaching and governing leadership should be given by spiritual men. Mm. Piper goes on to say, we take this to be a biblical expression of the goodness and the wisdom of God concerning the nature of leadership in these roles and the nature of manhood and womanhood. That is, rather than leaving to us to judge for ourselves whether mature manhood and womanhood would be preserved and enhanced through the primary leadership of men or women in these spheres, God was explicit about what would be good for us. Mm. That's good. That's really good. Piper says God was explicit. Mm -hmm. about what will be good for us. But contrary to how some have attempted to twist and spin this issue, the debate has nothing to do with the equality of men and women in terms of their inherent personhood as individuals who bear the image of God. You pointed to that earlier, Omaha, Genesis Mm -hmm. 127. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Listen to what John MacArthur, in his uh, systematic theology entitled Biblical Doctrine, a systematic summary of biblical truth, says, with that in, on that regard, just to underscore what you said earlier and what I just noted about the inherent personhood of men and women under the Imago Day, mm-hmm. John MacArthur says this quote: "It should be noted that the New Testament makes no provision for women to serve as elders or pastors, as Paul explains in First Timothy two verses eleven and twelve. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness." I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. The verb phrase to teach, MacArthur says, the verb to teach in 1 Timothy 2.12 could be better translated to be a teacher. Okay, to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. It indicates that women are not to hold teaching positions over men in the church. Thus, excluding them from the office of elder since teaching the congregation is one of the elders primary responsibilities. Thus the biblical pattern is that only men may serve as elders and pastors. That stipulation is not born out of first century cultural bias or Pauline prejudice, right? Rather it is grounded in both the created order Mm -hmm. and the events of the fall. MacArthur closes with this. The Bible clearly indicates that women are spiritual equals with men and that the ministry of women is essential to the body of Christ. Nonetheless, by God's design, women are excluded from leadership over men in the church. Unquote. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was John MacArthur from his systematic theology, biblical doctrine, a systematic summary of biblical truth. Now, that quote from MacArthur is where my earlier point about context comes in. Notice that MacArthur said, and rightly so, that the prohibition against women pastors and elders is, quote, grounded in both the created order and the events of the fall. MacArthur is absolutely correct. 
He's absolutely correct. MacArthur is one of the few people, one of the very few people, in fact, to hermeneutically connect 1 Timothy 2.12 to verses 13 and 14 that follow it. Mm -hmm. This is extremely important. This is extremely important because in verse 12, we have the what? Okay, so we have the prohibition in verse 12. We have the what? But it is in verses 13 and 14 that we have a purpose clause from the Apostle Paul that explains why women are not allowed to preach. Not only that they aren't allowed to preach, you have also the why. So a proper hermeneutic of the text in 1 Timothy 2, verses 12 through 14, clearly shows that the prohibition against women pastors and elders has absolutely nothing to do with patriarchy or misogyny or power or any other worldly label many so-called Christian quote-unquote leaders today are applying to that text. That's so good. The prohibition against women being ordained as pastors and elders is, as the Apostle Paul states so unambiguously, a direct result of Eve having sinned first in the Garden of Eden. No, she wasn't the only one who sinned. But in all seriousness, I find it mildly ironic that women should complain about being prohibited from pastoring or preaching when it was because of a woman that God instituted that ecclesiastical prohibition in the first place. Mm. I mean, is that not ironic or what? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely it is. Omaha, take the mic, man. What you got? I just, I just, I mean, I completely agree. I, I, I want to go back to what you said earlier. The basis of the argumentation is in proper hermeneutics. It's not in patriarchy. It's not in misogyny. It's not in some power struggle. It's not in impotent men who are afraid of strong women. It's not. I mean, all of the things that we've listened to and have been said, uh, at least over the last few weeks, maybe the last month or so regarding this particular issue. But that's always said whenever this issue is is raised. I mean, every single time it's 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 an appeal to something culturally rather mm -hmm. than someone saying, well, here's the proper hermeneutic because if, right. if when, 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 when it, whenever someone begins to go back to scripture and tries to make the case for, for egalitarianism, mm -hmm. ecclesiastical egalitarianism, it, it, if you really look at the, the way that you outlined uh, how we're to do, you know, proper, exegesis, proper uh, reading, understanding, and studying the, of the Bible, you laid out three things, context, mm -hmm. context, yep. and context. Yep. And, and when you apply that to some of the things that, that, they're, that they begin to use uh, in Scripture, their arguments begin to fall very flat. So the, the appeal then has to be to either emotion mm -hmm. or some aspect of of, of culture, you know, what the culture has has used or leveraged uh, in the past, maybe maybe an argument around feminism, maybe, you know, something along those lines, some, you know, some injustice that women or others have suffered in the past that now is being suffered by them yeah. in the church, you know, quote unquote, yeah. suffered by them in the church, you know. So anyway, there, there really isn't much to think about. Scripture is absolutely clear. It goes back to what you established in the very first part of of the podcast and, and, and the debate has nothing to do with what scripture does or does not say, because scripture is clear. The debate has to do with whether or not we are willing to submit 
to what scripture says. And at the end of the day, this, this isn't a male or female issue. It's an issue of submission or rebellion. Right. It's not male or female. It's, it's submission or rebellion to what God has already made clear. That's it. That's it, man. Thanks for that Omaha. Now to your point about culture and the influence that cultural, um, shall we say tentacles, uh, mm-hmm. that are influenced in this whole conversation have to do with, I want to quote from the book entitled postmodern theology, postmodern theology by Kevin J Van Hooser in the chapter entitled feminist theology, which by the way, was written by a woman. Okay. So again, I'm quoting from postmodern theology by Kevin J Van Hooser, the chapter entitled feminist theology, which was written by Mary McClintock, Fulkerson. Last name is F-U-L-K-E-R-S-O-N. Miss Fulkerson, in my estimation, really breaks down what this debate is really all about with regard to its being rooted in evangelical feminism, or can or you may want to say uh um extra ecclesiastical culture, uh sociocultural uh influences such as evangelical fe- uh, feminism. Uh Miss Fulkerson says this quote, even with all their diversity. Feminist theologies have one thing in common. They make the liberation of women central to the theological task. Bro, wait, where's the where's the Hammond B3 right there? Where is the Hammond B3 right there? Do we need to cue the mascot right here? <laughs> <laughs> that's, I mean, that's a brief sentence, but it really makes it very simple. Bro, you got to read that one again. Let me read this again. This is I'm quoting Mary McClintock Fulkerson in Kevin J. Van Hooser's book, Postmodern Theology, which I highly recommend you get a copy of. Miss Fulkerson says this, quote, even with all of their diversity, feminist theologies or, as they may say, as uh, black feminists, black feminists don't want, don't like to be called feminists. Black feminists are womanists. OK, they're womanists. But. Just wanted to mention that as an asterisk. Miss Fulkerson says, even with all their diversity, feminist theologies have one thing in common. They make the liberation of women central to the theological task. Key to much of this thinking was the recognition of the constructed nature of gender in the production of masculinity and femininity. What was taken to be liberating about the concept of quote-unquote gender was the idea that social identity is a construction used to locate persons in relation to power. It gave feminists leverage to counter the biologistic and determinist accounts of maleness and femaleness that locate men and women naturally. That's Genesis 127. Miss mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Fulkerson closes with this. She says, if this social defining and locating was taken to be mere convention, it could be changed insofar as, as it was to the disadvantage of women. It could be argued that it was morally problematic. Again, Miss Fulkerson says, insofar as it was to the disadvantage of women, that is, to locate men and women naturally. Mm-hmm. In the context of Genesis 127, Miss mm-hmm. Fulkerson is saying that it could be argued that that was morally problematic. So it was mm-hmm. morally problem problematic to the uh, to the ultimate goal of evangelical feminism, which again was to liberate women. 
right. to liberate women. And so by and by liber and by liber by liberation, what you mean is 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 dominant control, right? Right. right. It's it's. I mean, the, the language is important, and when you hear terms like liberation of women. What it means is is usually in this instance, especially when it deals with uh, less than a biblical standard of of liberation, less than a biblical standard of freedom, it means the subjugation of someone else in an effort to get liberated. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. S- somebody else is always being subjugated in those right. instances. Right. Thanks for that. Thanks for adding that, Omaha. That was very important. Now, mm-hmm. now, what Fulkerson is saying here is also very important. It's very. Mm-hmm. It's extremely important. It's extremely important because. As it relates to the issue of ordaining women as pastors and elders, it is an issue that has less to do with applying a proper hermeneutic of 1 Timothy 2.12 and more to do with dismantling what egalitarians consider to be male power structures within the church. Absolutely. As those structures are ultimately disadvantageous to the liberation of women from those male-dominated structures which is exactly why evangelical feminists, and when I use the term evangelical feminists, I'm referring not only to biological females who support egalitarianism, but also biological males who likewise support the idea of ordaining women as pastors and elders. That's good. But that's exactly why evangelical feminists like to inculcate into their arguments terms like patriarchy and misogyny. Absolutely. You see, Omaha, to evangelical egalitarians, this is a struggle for power. Absolutely. Plain and simple. Mm -hmm. It's just another way in which God's creation ordinance in Genesis 3.16, which you alluded to earlier, this is just another way in which that creation ordinance of God in Genesis 3.16, which oftentimes is a confrontational and even antagonistic dynamic between men and women, is playing itself out. Mm Mm-hmm. It's just another manifestation of that dynamic in Genesis 3.16 that you pointed out about desire. This mm-hmm. is just another way that this is playing, that that struggle is playing itself out. Mm-hmm. But that notwithstanding, okay, that notwithstanding, the fundamental question we must ask ourselves is this. Come on. Whose church is it? Mm. Whose church is it? Cute mascot, Omaha. There Real you cute go. mascot right there, That's bro. That's it. That's it. Whose church is it? Jesus said to Peter in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. Come on, man. Now, the pronoun my in that verse is a personal, it is a divine, number one. It is a divine, personal, possessive pronoun indicating that the church not only belongs to Jesus Christ, but that the very idea of the church originates with him. Mm -hmm. So if the church belongs to Christ, and it does, and if there would be no church apart from Christ, and there wouldn't, it stands to reason, does it not, that Christ himself has the authority to establish how his church is to function, how it is to be structured, and how it is to operate. Mm. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. Spurgeon said, quote, the church is not formed to be a social club to provide society for itself, nor to be a political association to be a power in politics, Mm. nor even to be a religious confederacy promoting its own opinions. It is, Spurgeon said, the church is a body created of the Lord to answer his own ends 
and purposes, and it exists for nothing else, unquote. Spurgeon said that the church is a body created, quote, unquote, of the Lord. Now, that prepositional phrase of the Lord excludes everyone else in terms of who is responsible for the church as both an entity and an idea. Mm. The church is created of the Lord. It exists for the sole purpose of serving his own ends and purposes and for nothing else, Spurgeon said. Mm. I mean, what arrogance to think that we can take God's ecclesiastical precepts and throw them back in his face as if they were mere suggestions and not commands. Mm. Take the mic on before I say man. That's the crazy part about that. Now I'll, I'll capitalize on the last thing that you just said about how we take his ecclesiastical precepts, throw them back in his face as if they were mere suggestions and not, commands i mean that's that's a powerful statement because man we do so i mean it it, i i could think i could think of so many so many uh writers books come to mind we've just we've we've accepted the grace of god and really spit upon it right we've we 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 don't see folks dropping like ananias and sapphira and so we kind of think that hey maybe whatever we decide to do in our own Mm-hmm. Uh, on our own cognitions is 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 okay, so I, I can think of two instances in particular where ecclesiastical precepts were regarded as suggestions. I uh, particularly think about it in the Old Testament, and that that didn't go well. The first that comes to mind uh, is the story of 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 of, of Uzzah or Uzziah, depends upon how you pronounce it, in Second right. Samuel six seven, right, where where the the uh, the Ark of the Covenant is being brought back uh, to 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 its rightful place and and uh and it's but but it's brought back in the wrong manner right in the manner mm-hmm. in which that those who desired to bring it back decided they, they're gonna put it on a wagon and bring it mm-hmm. back in when there were very specific mat there was a very specific manner in which god had ordained mm-hmm. for the ark to be handled right mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and in and second samuel 6 7 it says the anger of the lord was kindled against Uzzah. uh the, and the, and god struck him down because mm-hmm. of his error and he died there beside the ark mm-hmm. uh, of, of God. Uh, the second thing that comes to, to mind is, is Nadab and Abihu, right? It's Leviticus 10, mm-hmm. 1 and 2. And and they're the sons of Aaron. They they take the censer of the Lord, put fire to it, and then lay uh, and then and then go into uh, the, the the tabernacle to, to offer incense to the Lord in a manner that's unauthorized by God. Mm-hmm. What 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 happens to them? The, the Lord consumes them with mm-hmm. fire, and they die. Mm-hmm. Now I, I cite these two texts. I mean, just by by way of just reference. I mean, I'm, I'm, we're not going through them in any kind of detailed way, but just to say that we have a tendency to believe that texts like First Timothy two twelve are outdated suggestions mm-hmm. on the part of Paul mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. that might loosely be applied if we so desire to see right. fit to do them. Right? Mm-hmm. That, that God God seems to to have a very specific in 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 the proclamation of that particular text. God has a very specific manner in which He desires 
for us to to abide by the roles that he has for us in the church in the same way that he did uh, with those in the Old Testament with regard to Israel. But we, we, we've dichotomized this God mm-hmm. of the Old Testament who's kind of mean and angry and hateful mm-hmm. and striking mm-hmm. people down. And and those who are in the the New Testament, where we can kind of play around with what he said and and, right. and see how it how it works out uh, on our behalf. Lastly, man, I'll add this: that this postmodern application of Scripture, where truth is far too difficult to ascertain, at least you know for some, it, it seems to be the rule. And, and I think a lot of it has to do with our appeal to pragmatism. Right. Oh, yes, much, absolutely. We, yep. we would we would much more readily subscribe to what we believe to be the works of God rather than what we believe to be the word of God. Right. Yeah, hey, I'm, I'm do, God. right. Wow. I'm doing I'm doing the works of God. So it's OK. Yeah. Rather than. Yeah. And so that's what I believe to be true. That's what I that's the way I'll do it. I'm, I'm doing the works of God. So it, and it's working. So it must be right and good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. rather than having the belief that I believe in the word of God and I'm operating in God's authority based upon what he has established in scripture. And that's how I'm advancing the kingdom. Man, Omaha, I tell you, I don't know. Do we have a backup Hammond B3? Cause we, we, I, I, think the, I think the main Hammond might be, the main Hammond might be smoking right about now. Man, that was fantastic. That was fantastic. That's, cra- that's, that's wild, man. I appreciate that, man. You know, um, just listen to what you what you were saying just then. You know, a primary it just brings to my mind a a a, a I think a, a a question that I consider primary, a, a primary question I have. And I want to target this question to evangelical egalitarians out there who are listening to this. The question I have for you is this: What is it about First Timothy one twelve and the phrase? I do not allow mm. that you don't understand. What is it about that phrase that you don't understand? Mm-hmm. I mean, after all, the same Bible that you would acknowledge is authoritative when it comes to texts that are particularly favorable to women, such as Ephesians 5, 25 mm-hmm. husbands love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up to up for her. And first Peter three, seven, you husbands live with your wives in an understanding way and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. The same Bible that you get those two texts from is the same Bible that prohibits the ordination of women as pastors and elders. So what is there about the phrase, I do not allow in 1 Timothy 1.12, that you do not understand. As I see it, Omaha, this debate over the ordination of women is just more evidence of the ever-increasing influence of woke theology in the church. Wow, wow. It's like every issue now, mm-hmm. every issue that confronts the church today is either a matter of social justice or gender equality mm-hmm. or something that has to do with making the church to be what we wanted to be as opposed to what Christ wants his church to be. Mm -hmm. But I want to remind those egalitarians of something, okay? I want to remind all you ecclesiastical egalitarians of something right here. The church is not about you. Wow. I hate to disappoint you when I say that. Not really. But the church is not about you. It's just not. That's good. 
The church is not about you. The church is about Jesus Christ, the one from whom the very idea of the church originated, the one who died for it, the one who is building it, and the one who one day will return to this world for it. That's good. The church is not about you. Matter of fact, even the fact that you're a member of the church has nothing to do with you. Come on, man. That fact is made clear in texts such as 1 Corinthians 1.30, where the Apostle Paul declares unambiguously, by his doing, that is by God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus. Mm. Which is to say, by God's monogistic, volitional, and providential will, you are in Christ which also means you are part of his church by virtue of his doing, not yours. Then there's Titus 3, 5. He saved us. That is God. God saved us, not on the basis of deeds we've done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Then there's also Colossians 1, 13. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. I mean, seriously, Omaha, what arrogance. Mm -hmm. I mean, what pride to dare to say to the God who made you, you a mere dot, a mere speck when considered against the infinitude of all that exists in his universe. What arrogance that the manner in which God has constructed his church is somehow unfair or offensive to you yeah, and yeah. what you perceive to be your rightful place in it. Mm. I mean, what arrogance, what pride. Listen, God never contradicts himself, okay? Never. Psalm 119 verse 89 declares, Forever, O Lord, your mm. word is settled Come on, in heaven. Man. That word settled in the Hebrew is a military term that carries with it the picture of a soldier stationed at his assigned post, immovable and mm -hmm. fixed. And you and I, Verge, having both served in the military, we can appreciate that exposition there Absolutely. And, and, her, and what that word actually means. Mm -hmm. God's word is fixed. When a soldier is given orders, the orders are carried out until the soldier gets new orders. Mm. If the soldier never gets new orders, he, he or she continues in the orders that he was last given. God's word is fixed, and the only one who can alter either his words or their meaning is God himself. Amen. Any thoughts, Omaha? Lots of thoughts, man. I, one of the things that I love about what we do on this podcast and for the listener, man, you, you got to recognize something. And I think you I think you get it when you hear Daryl and I discuss subject matter. I, I love getting on here and listening to what God has has kind of given to Daryl through his word to as, as he unpacks a particular text of scripture. And I, I, I think I can speak for Daryl and say he enjoys kind of hearing what God had, has, has, has said yep. to me uh, with regard to the, the reviewing of his word. We, we enjoy I, I get great joy out of knowing that the word of God is settled in heaven and it is fixed wow. and that Absolutely. it is immovable. And furthermore, I get joy in its clear proclamation 
I, I, I enjoy this podcast because I know beyond the shadow of a doubt, one, when I get ready to c- come on and we hit record, I have had I, I have had time in the word of God. I know Daryl has had time in the word of God. And mm-hmm. when we come together to listen mm-hmm. to what one another share about this, this or any other subject, man, I, I leave I leave encouraged and enriched because the word of God is true. And so mm-hmm. I, I just I just say that, man, as a as a caveat, as an aside to to what I wanted to share about what you just what you just shared. And, and uh, man, it's just, just kind of from my heart as I'm listening to what you're sharing, what we're walking through on this particular subject. Let me just say this. I completely agree with you with what you said. Uh, when you said this is more evidence of the ever increasing influence of woke theology in the church. I, th- I think the entire point of the woke movement includes their, their, their quote unquote diagnostic tools, which include intersectionality mm-hmm. and critical race theory. And mm-hmm. I know that's, that's something we'll talk about at another, another time, mm-hmm. but, but the, but the goal of that whole movement, the goal of the tools that they use to examine life and culture are, are strictly designed for the purpose of tearing down power structures yep. uh, and the, and the tearing down of those power stru- structures, those structures that establish specific roles uh, to begin with. And here's the thing, the power structure that they've aimed at in this instance is the word of God. Amen. That's, that's what they're, that's what they're aiming at. That's, that's the issue. And to the point you made, if this is a military related, uh, uh, uh term in the Hebrew where it said that the word of God is settled mm-hmm. in heaven, that the word of God is, is fixed. There, there's no winning on this one. Nope. I mean, we, we can ebb and flow. Folks can get emotionally wound up if they want to. God's word doesn't change. And so whatever they've set up to establish, to try to tear down a power structure, man, your arms are too short to box with God. <laughs> Bruh, cue the mascot. Cue the mascot. Bert, they don't know nothing about that, bro. They don't know nothing about that. Come on, they don't you know can't, nothing about you that. Can't, you can't fool with God. Come on, man. He's already established this thing. I, I love I, I go back to I go back to the title of this whole podcast, the unnecessary debate. It's exactly. unnecessary. It's unnecessary because God's word has established <laughs> what has been said about the issue. And all we get to do in the fact that this issue has been raised by woke culture is we get to review what God we get to review and delight in the establishment Amen. of the word of God. That's Amen. at the, I mean, that's, that's where we are uh, at the end of the day. This isn't again, a, 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 this is an issue at the, at the end of the day about submission or rebellion, whether or not we're going to bow the knee to God's word said or not. And so again, it goes all the way back to the Genesis three point that we made earlier and the other mm-hmm. points we made earlier, but, but man, this is, this is what it's about. And, and mm-hmm. my joy in that, even though I know that there's a lot of angst in the culture. My joy in that is that guys like you and I and others who love the word of God get to go back into it and find out how it is a more sure word because we're standing upon that which Christ has said, which he has commanded, and which we must obey. Amen, bro. Wow. I think that's about your third sermon this episode. Actually, (laughs) we we might get more Hammond B3 out of this episode than we have in all the other episodes combined. It's all about beautiful Omaha. Seriously, man. Great points. Great points. You know, there's another uh, there's another popular Christian female Bible study teacher 
who is different from, but is probably just as well known as the other Christian female Bible study teacher to whom I alluded early in the episode, who was quoted recently on social media saying something that I'm going to quote here in a second. I won't use her name, okay? But her initials are Jen Wilkin, okay? (laughs) Jen Wilkin said this, quote, If only we had devoted as much attention as we have to whether a woman could preach Mm. to how qualified the men are that are preaching, unquote. Yeah. Let me repeat that. Wilkins said, quote, if only we had devoted as much attention as we have to whether a woman could preach to how qualified the men are that are preaching, Mm -hmm. unquote. Well, my response to Ms. Wilkins is this. If only women like you would simply submit to what scripture already says about whether a woman can preach, we wouldn't have to devote as much attention to whether women can preach Mm. and could focus on dealing with removing unqualified men from the pulpit. Mm -hmm. Listen, when God says you shall not murder, that's exactly what he means. When he says you shall not steal, That's exactly what he means. When he says, take up your cross daily and follow me, that's exactly what he means. Mm -hmm. And when his word says, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, that is exactly what he means. Amen. Why in the world do we think we can just cherry pick verses of scripture and make them mean whatever we want? Mm Mm-hmm. Anything to add on that, Omaha? I'll just I'll I'll say this briefly, bro. One of the things I keep hearing are things like this is this is not a primary issue. You know, it's a it's a secondary issue. It's a tertiary issue. And and on some level, I, I absolutely believe that we have to have those categories and distinctions. However, in this particular instance, I believe that sometimes those distinctions are said to allow us to believe that we don't have to take these issues seriously or the word of God seriously. Right. You know, what we're talking about here is in in women as pastors is a behavior that is explicitly contrary to what the word of God says. This isn't a this isn't a this isn't an issue of difference where scripture is silent. This is an issue where scripture is absolutely clear on the issue. That's a great point, Omaha. And the thing again, listen, we've been hammering this point all through this episode. This is about the authority of scripture. So this isn't this. Listen. I'm not going to get caught up in whether this is a primary, secondary, tertiary issue. I'm not going to even get caught up in that mess. This is about what Christ has said Mm. about his church, Mm -hmm. the church that he died for. Absolutely. The church that he died for. That is the only question that's on the table. Has Christ spoken? That's the only question that's on the table. Wayne Grudem in his book, that I quoted from earlier in our conversation, Evangelical Feminism and Biblical Truth, he gives this warning to the church today, okay? Quote, Grudem said this. He says, the egalitarian agenda will not stop Mm. simply with the rejection of male headship in marriage and the establishment of women as pastors and elders in churches. There is something much deeper at stake. Ultimately, the effective authority of Scripture to govern our lives is at stake in this controversy. Mm. As the foundation of egalitarianism is a dislike 
and a rejection of anything uniquely masculine, Mm -hmm. unquote. So that kind of goes back to what we said from uh, in quoting Ms. Fulkerson earlier. That one thread that has in common, right, with all evangelical feminism, and in this case, even evangelical feminist theology, is the liberation of women. Mm. Grudem is saying the same thing here. He says that the at the foundation of egalitarianism is a dislike and rejection of anything uniquely masculine. So again, when you reduce this issue to its least common denominator, this has nothing to do with power structures or gender roles within the church. The only question at stake here, again, is whose church is it? The answer to that question makes the debate over women pastors and elders ostensibly moot and completely unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Why? Because God has clearly spoken on the issue. In Luke 6, 46, Jesus asks what I would consider the most profound rhetorical question you will find in all of Scripture. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will pose that question to the egalitarians right now. Why do you call Jesus your Lord, yet do not do what he says? To deliberately go against the biblical prohibition against the ordination of women is an attempt to dethrone God and enthrone ourselves in his place. Mm-hmm. Albert Moller, Dr. Albert Moller says this on page 151 of his book, his new book on the Apostles' Creed. Dr. Moller said that an anemic ecclesiology inevitably produces an anemic church. An anemic ecclesiology inevitably produces an anemic church church. Moeller is absolutely right. What we have attempted to accomplish in this episode, what we've attempted to accomplish in this episode of the Just Thinking Podcast is to establish biblically, and Omaha reiterated this earlier, we dig into the Word of God to see what the Word of God says about this. We're not giving you our subjective opinion. Right, right. We don't do opinions on this podcast. Mm -mm. We open the Word of God to see what objectively universally, equally, his truth has to say about these issues. And what we're attempting to do here is what we always do every week, is to establish biblically that the prohibition against ordaining women pastors and elders is rooted in the creation ordinance of God in Genesis chapter 3. It has Mm -hmm. nothing to do with patriarchy, misogyny, or tearing down hierarchical power structures. You know, the Apostle Paul, who, as did the other apostles, spoke on behalf of and under the authority of Jesus Christ, makes this abundantly clear in 1 Peter 2, verses 12 through 14. So don't just cherry pick verse 12 out of that text. Read the two verses after that, which give you the why of the what. doesn't just give you the what. You have the why. Mm -hmm. So people who say Paul was wrong don't have a problem with Paul. They have a problem with God. But it's God who instituted that prohibition in direct response to the sin Eve committed in the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. This is an utterly unnecessary debate. Yeah. God has spoken. And since he has spoken, it is a settled issue. Period. Now, if you think otherwise, then you really 
you really need to think again. Mm-hmm. No, I'm out. That's it. Well, that's all that we have. Scripture has spoken, and it's absolutely clear. The unnecessary debate episode is in the books. Check in with us next week. I think you're not going to want to miss that episode. Send and share this with a friend. Uh, tell others about the Just Thinking Podcast and join us right back here next week for another edition of the Just Thinking Podcast. Before you go, ladies and gentlemen, just wanted to give you this quick announcement. Not sure if you knew about this, but we have Just Thinking merchandise. That's right. We have shirts, hats, mugs, and stickers available for you so you can rep your favorite podcast. Just go to thebargear.com slash JT. Pick up your Just Thinking gear. Take a picture with it. Tag us on it. And we'd love to see your support. Thanks.